Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. We're glad you have joined us uh, online, whether you're on Facebook or on YouTube. As you probably noticed, this is not the backdrop for our auditorium. Uh, and I am joining you from my home this morning. I've uh, got some wonderful news uh, yesterday that apparently I have tested positive for COVID. Uh, so we're making some changes on how we do things, and I'm quarantining at the house um, with the family. We're all just going to stay home for the next uh, week or two and uh, just try to get well and make sure that no one gets worse. Um, I've reached out to a, f a few people that just needed to know um, to make things happen this morning, and I appreciate everyone's care and prayers and feedback. Uh, we're doing well. Uh, I feel really good. That may change, but right now I feel really good. But just noticed um, that my sense of taste and smell started to go away. And uh, so went to get tested, uh, found a place near me that did the rapid testing and came back as positive. So uh, I'm going to be joining you from here. Um, I do have a few things I want you to know in case you didn't. One, if you did not get to join us for our healing Christmas service, you can catch that either uh, on Facebook, it's still on YouTube, um, or we'll make it available at journeychattanooga.com. Um, it's a, a service especially for those who are struggling at Christmas. And we know this is a, a really hard Christmas uh, compared to most years, but often we find that people struggle um, at this time of year for a variety of reasons. If that's you, I would encourage you to go and find that video and watch it. Um, we'll also send it out in an email blast just so you can have it if you have signed up to receive those from us. If you haven't, then you can just go to journeychattanooga.com uh, and at the bottom of the homepage, I think at the bottom of every page, there's a place to sign up for email updates. Uh, just put in your email address and you'll start receiving those um, by the next update. We also have a Christmas Adam service coming up. It's going to be this Wednesday. We're going to premiere it at 7 on Facebook and YouTube. I hope um, that you have already sent in a video. If you haven't, let me encourage you to do that. Uh, you can send just a, a quick Christmas message with you or you and some friends or you and your family or whoever. Uh, just saying, hey, Merry Christmas. You can sing a song. Um, whatever you would like to do, we would love to receive those and include them in our Christmas Adam uh, service. So um, we're looking forward to that on Wednesday. Um, also, uh, with me being a little out of commission, it's, we've got another surprise that is intending to come to you this week, and they are some COVID Christmas bags. Uh, but uh, as some of you have volunteered to help deliver those. I want you to know that within these bags, there are some individually wrapped edibles um, and but I have not touched any of them. Um, I had not packed any of the food um, or packed the bags. So, uh, but if you would be available to stop by the church and pick up a group of bags and deliver them, um, then we'll have someone other than me there to meet you uh, and give you some addresses where you can drop those off. If you would like to do that, please let me know. Mark at journeychattanooga.com is a great way to email me, um, and we would love for you to be a part of that. All right. So that's a, a few things to share with you as we get started. But I also want to continue our series on the good news. 
And we have been following a thread of somewhat subversive um, ways in which Jesus introduced the good news beginning with his birth and that would continue through his life. Ultimately, that subversive way of working against the established institutions that were holding people down, oppressing them, hurting them, and ultimately keeping them from a, a true relationship with God, Jesus was constantly working against those. But he wouldn't come full force. It was this interesting way in which he would just uh, talk differently and act differently and spend time with people differently. And it literally sparked a movement that we 2,000 years later are still experiencing. We began talking about this four weeks ago when we talked about the announcement of Jesus's birth, which was very interesting because Caesar Augustus was the first Roman emperor who was really over all of Israel. Uh, for about 30 years, he's already been on the scene and he's already been kind of in control of what's going on in Israel, uh, who is now just a puppet state for Rome. Now, Augustus literally means one worthy to be worshipped. He was the self-proclaimed son of God. He brought what was called the Pax Romana or the Peace of Rome. And so he was the bringer of peace or the prince of peace. And yet that peace came at the end uh, of an army that would destroy you if you didn't comply. He took care of his own people, but he took from everyone else to make sure his own people were, were fed and lived really well with the riches that they plundered from all of these other puppet kingdoms. So as we looked at his story, he is said to have been the bringer of good news. Historians who lived in his day said that he was worshipped so fully and completely there was no more worship left for any other God because Caesar Augustus took it all. And yet when Jesus was born, it is interesting that it is said of him that he was the Prince of Peace, the bringer of good news, the self-declared son of God, not Caesar Augustus. And in that he was demonstrating, you know what? No occupying force, even if you are the largest, most powerful nation in the world, has a greater kingdom than God's. It was, it was a subversive moment for a child born in a stable, laying in a manger, not even in his own home. This was the King of Kings. This was the Lord of Lords. This was the bringer of good news. The next week we talked about Jesus' first miracle, which was interesting because it was at a wedding and his mother, who was helping to put on kind of the, the, the celebration after the wedding, came to him and said, all the wine's gone. And we looked at this incredible story, somewhat paralleling something from the Old Testament, where Jesus turns water into wine. And, and as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, this sign this sign of turning water into something was well known by all Jews. They knew what happened in Egypt whenever the, the first plague that came to, to set the people free from Pharaoh was uh, turning water into blood. And that was a symbol of judgment. It was a symbol of God coming to their rescue. It was a symbol uh, 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 that something horrible was happening and there would be punishment for it. 
Interestingly, this first miracle of Jesus was subversive, not just because he turned water into wine, but he did not pour that wine into the skins and the bottles and flasks and things that they had to hold the wine before that are now empty. Instead, he looked around and he found these massive religious ritual jars that were used to hold holy water so that when you would come by, they they were solely used to cleanse yourself ritually, to purify yourself. Now, what we know about the Pharisees is that they love to walk by and regularly dip their hands in these jars to somehow show to everyone around them, we are pure, we are holy, we are doing everything right. And yet Jesus in this subversive moment says, fill those with water. And in, then he turned them into wine. It was, a, it was a movement from the punishment of turning the, uh, the Nile into blood. And instead of that symbol of punishment, it was a, a symbol of celebration. It was a wonderful symbol of, of what God was about to do through Jesus. I, I read to you a quote by Bruxy Cavey who said, he purposefully chooses these sacred jars to challenge the religious system by converting them from icons of personal purification into symbols of relational celebration. Jesus takes us from holy water to wedding wine, from legalism to life, from religion to relationship. It's a wonderful picture that Jesus is turning everything on its ear, but he does it quietly. He does it symbolically. He does it for those who are paying attention, but a whole lot of people would have missed what he did. What he was saying was that the religious system had failed. The religious leaders had failed. Rome was in such control that the priests and all those that worked with them were loyal to Rome. They would remove anyone that wasn't loyal so they could maintain some level of control over all of the Jewish people. But that system had failed. Not only had it failed under the leadership of Rome, it, it failed from the very beginning because it was impossible for us to stay ritually pure. Now, some of us still today struggle with this. We still want to be ritually pure. And sometimes we even expect others to be ritually pure when God is saying, I desire for you and from you a relationship with me. It's really an amazing story and an amazing picture that the good news is good. The good news is subversive. It works against those powers that seek to separate us from God, that seek to oppress people and diminish their dignity as the bearers of the image of God. Last week, <clears throat> Paul shared with us a really wonderful um, time of teaching where he talked about some of the things that have gone wrong in 2020. And, and I, I'm kind of living that right now too. But, but he talked about one day in particular where they had one thing after the other break down and one uh, bad thing after the other that made him just feel like, what else can go wrong? And yet in that moment, he saw how Jesus was providing for them. That this advent of the coming of the Christ that we celebrate at Christmas is something profound. It is something that God can in a moment change 
anything, in the blink of an eye, he has the power to change a circumstance. But instead, he chooses to get down in the muck and mire of our lives and help us be better and make us better. It was really a great time of hearing that with Paul. And and today, what I want to do with you for the rest of my time is I want to share three stories. And then I want to talk about the... uh, Good news. What exactly is this good news? And then we're going we're gonna to end for the day. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, we have this great story um, where Jesus is calling one of his disciples and the author of the first uh, gospel. His name is Matthew. And it says, Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick (laughs) Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call righteous, but sinners. Now, this is such an important story when we talk about the subversive teachings and movement of Jesus because it shows us who Jesus was interested in reaching. Matthew was a tax collector, which was literally the dregs of society. No one liked the tax collector. Nobody really likes tax collectors today, but not like Matthew, not like those during this time, not like uh, Zacchaeus, not like those that were considered traitors to their own people. People hated tax collectors for three primary reasons. One, they hated them because uh, they were collecting money for their enemy, Rome. Not only were they taking money from the Jewish people and giving it to Rome, which they felt like as God's chosen people, they should have been able to keep for themselves. They were Jews who were elicited to be these uh, tax collectors. So they were traitors. Like These were supposed to be our friends, our brothers, our, our sisters. And yet they're taking our money that is for our nation and giving it to our enemy. The third reason they hated tax collectors is because the tax collectors not only made a salary from Rome, but they took a little off the side and the side was always extra tax. So not only did you have to pay the tax that Rome required, you had to pay kind of the penalty fee from the tax collector. So he had his extra people hated that and there was nothing they could do because at the end of the day, the tax collectors were held up by the Roman army. So they hated Matthew. They hated tax collectors. If you read throughout the New Testament, the tax collectors are thrown into literally the same group as like the worst of the the lawbreakers, the worst of the offenders. They're they're put in with the worst of the criminals, with with prostitutes and with those who would uh, seek to undermine God. They were just really the worst of society. But we have just this these interesting things that are happening in this exchange that, again, if you're watching, subvert kind of the moral idea of what is right and good. 
because he's aiming to teach a lesson that is new and different. When he comes to Matthew, it's interesting that he comes to Matthew to begin with. Like, if you were going to start a movement, if you were going to start a church today, you would probably try to find people that were pretty good examples to follow. A tax collector would not have been that. And yet, this is who Jesus goes after. Not only does he go after Matthew, the worst of the worst, Matthew immediately begins to follow Jesus. So clearly Jesus has chosen well. And at some point, he throws a party at his house, invites Jesus, and he invites all of his criminal friends, it says, all the tax collectors and the sinners, because those are all the bad folks. And Jesus goes. Now, this is important because at the height of the rule of the Pharisees, like purity, holiness, demonstrating purity and holiness was super important. It, it was so important to them that they would go to great lengths to appear holy even when they weren't. Jesus called them out regularly about this. He said things, uh, called them out for things like, um, you say these long prayers so that you'll be heard by other people. They would wear uh, ceremonial clothing in which they would have these tassels that would um, that would kind of come outside their garment and you would see them and they would hang down a little bit down your leg. But he said about the Pharisees, you have these long tassels that drag the ground so people look at you and make you think that you are so holy and so pure, but you are rotten to the core. See, the Pharisees were all about appearances. Now, it's unlikely that they would have shown up to this party that Matthew's now showing for all of his friends, his criminal and sinner friends, that Jesus is now hanging out with, reclining at the table, resting, enjoying his time talking with them. But they heard about it. And then they came over and it says they saw it, but while they, they couldn't have been there and still kept their facade of holiness, they came over and began to talk to the apostles. How can your teacher do this? Which is interesting. They didn't ask Jesus this directly, but Jesus answered them directly when he overheard all of this. And he said what has become uh, known for many of us and, and that to hold this as a, a, a saying of hope and a teaching of hope when he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he goes on again to, to just directly attack the way they're living their life and missing the point. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. If you'll remember, when we talked about mercy. Mercy is the ability to punish, but withholding that punishment. The Pharisees never withheld an opportunity to punish. I wonder how many of us live in circles of people that we somewhat would put them in the category of a Pharisee. Like they are looking for reasons to punish us. Do you know anybody like that? I know people like that that they just look for anything you would do wrong and they want to make sure you know you have not lived up to their standards. This is what's happening with the Pharisees. 
And Jesus says, these are the people that need me. Now, he's not insinuating, you don't need me. He's insinuating in that, uh, in that subversive way, you just don't get it. Like if you got what this is all about, what faith and religion, the temple and the temple practices were all about, the, the law, if you really understood what it was about, this is where you would be. This is who you would be hanging out with. Not so that you are just like them, but you are drawing them into something better, something good and beautiful in a relationship with God. Instead, they scoff and they go off and they look for the next time in which they get to attack Jesus. And it's not too much longer that we read in Luke, a story of another tax collector. Maybe you learned if you grew up in church as a child named Zacchaeus. Very similar story, very different person. Luke 19 tells the story this way. He, being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Oh, doesn't this sound familiar? Just what happened with Matthew? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. He's literally talking about that extra that he would take from people on top of the taxes from Rome that he would collect. I'm giving it back with interest is what he is saying. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now that's a pretty powerful statement for Jesus to make. Today salvation has come to this house. Have you ever wondered why salvation has come to the house? Is it because he gave away money? Is that what it requires for us to receive the good news, to receive salvation? I don't think that was it. I, I, I think there are lots of things we try to prove our devotion to God. God looks at our hearts and knows what our devotion to him is. Trying to prove it to him is so silly because he sees right through it all. The Pharisees were trying to prove their devotion to God, and God's, Jesus saw right through it. They see through that in us too. I, I really don't think it's because he gave the money away that he found, found salvation. I think he gave the money away because he found salvation. In other words, it wasn't the cause of his salvation. It was the after effect of truly finding it. It reminds me of the parable of the great treasure that I like to talk about, that, that Jesus is the great treasure. And it's, it's like the, uh, the pearl of great price. 
that you sell everything you have. You give it all away so I could have just this pearl of great price, which is Jesus. Or the, the treasure buried in a field and a man sold everything he has so he could buy that field, so he could have that treasure that was in that field. They have found something that was better than literally anything else. I think another amazing thing about this story is it just continues to show that when Jesus went to the people that the religious folks hated, they regularly responded by following him. I think that is so fascinating that we see in these stories. Not only are these the people that you would discount, they're the people who become most faithful to Christ. It's really a a, a wonderful story in each of these cases these dregs of society turned to follow jesus immediately like they they hated their jobs they knew there was something more they knew they needed something more and as soon as jesus came calling they were ready to follow there is an idea that somehow you have to behave your way into heaven whether it be by giving stuff away or not being a tax collector or making sure I never sin or making sure maybe in today's jargon, maybe we go to church enough or I I carry the right Bible or a big enough Bible or I have a fish used to be, had a fish on the back of my car. I don't think people really do that anymore. And different ways that we tried to behave our way into the good news. But I don't know about you, that doesn't really sound like good news to me. That sounds like work. So what does all of this story tell us? And what is this good news that Jesus is offering? Because right now we're in the midst of a bit of a crisis in our nation about the gospel and politics and justice and all these conversations that we're having, what is this good news? Is the good news you have to give away half your stuff? Jesus literally said that to somebody. Is is the good news you've got to have these long tassels? Is the good news you've got to dip your hands in these sacred jars every time you walk by so people think, wow, you're really spiritual? Now, it's interesting as we look back through all of these stories that we have covered um, there are some things i think that we can take away that are good news um, that jesus is offering one is this that there is a kingdom that is bigger and more powerful than any on earth he declared this when he came out as the son of god the prince of peace the bringer of the euangelion or the or evangelism or the bringing of good news. This kingdom is bigger than Rome, bigger than China, bigger than Russia, bigger than the U.S. This kingdom is bigger and more powerful than all of those things. I think another thing that we see is there is a king that is loving and gracious and compassionate and patient for all people. The 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 parable of the lost sheep comes to mind. I will leave the 99 to go find the one because everyone is precious to me. I think we we find in this that there is a savior 
that wants to be with you in your dirt and the grime of your life to make you better and to help you see things differently and to recognize even when things aren't great, God is good, life is good, I am good, even when things seem to be going wrong all around me. That's good news, I think, to many of us. It's good news that there is a Savior that seeks out the most lost sinner, the person that's been rejected by everyone else to say, I want you. I want you to be with me. I love you. I have come for you. I have sought you out. What would it feel like for a person who has been pushed away by everyone in their life for the God of the universe to show up on their doorstep and say, I have come for you. What would it be like to feel like you have nothing of value to offer the world? And the son of God says, I want you to come with me. I am here with you. I want you to be with me. This good news also tells us that all we have to do to receive this good news, to receive this kingdom, to be a part of this kingdom that's bigger than any kingdom on earth ever has been, ever will be, more powerful, more able, that he is going to be with us in our dirt. And even when we feel that we are most unworthy, he is with us, drawing us, calling us, seeking us. All we have to do is believe and accept him. Paul talks about this in Romans 10, 9, and he, he says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This good news is free to all of us. As we enter into this last week before Christmas, and I don't know if your preparations are ready and what all you're going to do this week. Like, we're going to be at home now. I, I don't know what, what your plans are, but I imagine you have some plans, whether it be uh, to be with friends or to be with just your family there. Maybe you're going to get together with some other people. I want to encourage you to think about Christmas differently. I want to encourage you to think about what what is it like for that person who is on the outside, truly on the outside? Who are the people that today we don't want to think about. We don't want to spend time with. We don't want to have anything to do with them. Who are those people today? Is there a group? Is there a culture? Maybe it's another religion. Maybe it's a, someone who does a certain job or lives at a certain level of affluence or less than affluence. Is it people that maybe don't take baths every day or are they those that drive nice cars? Who are the people that we are just pushing them out and we don't want to have anything to do with them? Maybe think about it this way. Who are those people that if we saw them walking down the street, we would jump to the other side so we don't have to pass them, see them, interact with them at all? Who are they? I don't know who they are for you. I'm struggling through that question for myself. 
But I do know this, whoever they are, whoever that person is, that we would avoid at all costs, Jesus makes a beeline for them. He goes straight for them. It's amazing what Jesus called his disciples to do if, he was going to em- if they were going to emulate his love and behavior and, and how he treated others. And <clears throat> there's a parable he told in Luke 14. This is the third story I wanted to tell. It's the parable of the great banquet. And he says this about a feast that's being held not to invite the people that are held in high esteem, that make you look good, that, that maybe help you get a job or, or make you look like you're part of a, an elite group of people. He says this, no, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What does it look like to invite those people to be a part of your life. You know, this was a message that the uh, um, the apostles got. <laughs> and the Gospels speak much about this message that we are here for those who are the outcasts. In fact, when we read the lineage of Jesus, that lineage is staffed with some of the worst of society and some of the best. It's staffed with prostitutes and it's staffed with those who are kings and people who are celebrated even today. In that lineage are men and women, both good and bad, because Jesus has come for all people. No, it's interesting. Jesus did talk about tax collectors in a very negative way at one point. And, and he said, if a person is, is willfully sinning within the church, they should be cast out and treated as a tax collector or a sinner. Now, we often would go to that and say, well, what he's saying is, like, we are to have nothing to do with them. Treat them like they're the dregs of society. And yet, in the subversive way in which Jesus teaches, what is he actually saying there? Is he actually saying... Cast them out and treat them like the dregs of society they are? Or is he saying, these are the people that need to know the love of God? Because Jesus, when given the opportunity to spend time with tax collectors and sinners, he chose to spend time with them. So perhaps the subversive message was not cast them out. Instead, was go to them, let them see the love of God. Jesus is subversive in all of the things that he does and he says, and we have really only touched the surface. Coming into the next year, we'll talk some more about the subversive teachings of Jesus, and I hope that you'll stay with us. Next week, I'm going to join you with kind of a special year-end um, message that I, I want to share also on Facebook or YouTube. We're not, we're still not going to be um, in person for worship yet. And we'll wrap up this series of the good news, but also somewhat prepare us for what's coming for 2021. And, and I hope um, that you will join us for today. I want to leave you with this idea that you do not have to be a pious, holier than thou Pharisee. 
Jesus has come for you. Jesus came for me. He came for everyone that would call on his name and be saved. What will it look like for us to go to the people that Jesus went to? If we're going to follow him, that is where he's going to take us. I want you to know I I love you all. Uh, I'm praying for you throughout this Christmas season. I hope you will join us for our Christmas Adam service. But I hope you'll consider within your heart what does it look like for you to be the bearers of this good news for the world who is in much need of good news today. Are you going to live it out? Are you going to demonstrate it for others? Are you going to take it to those no one else wants to have anything to do with? Because if you are, you are in very good company. You are in the company of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for uh, the wonderful news that you have given us. I thank you for the opportunity that we can not only be saved, but we can be a part of taking that message to others. Father, thank you for choosing the dregs of society to do your work through, because it shows us that you can do your work through any of us too. I pray for those that feel like they are the outcast. They are on the outside. They are the ones that nobody wants to have anything to do with. I pray that they would find uh, or you would send a follower to let them see how much they are loved, how much they are cared for. I pray as we struggle through this uh, Christmas season, it's a very different Christmas season for all of us, that you will allow us to find the beauty that comes in knowing you. We thank you for your love and for your grace. We ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.